Good morning, friends. Please remain standing and grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to read verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite you to minister to us and to speak to us where we are right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Through my college years, there was a place that I frequented again and again and again. It was a place that I I went to for sustenance, a place that I went to for comfort, and a place where I went to find delight. It was like this, this beacon of light that I so desperately needed in the midst of the weekly hustle and bustle at UW. And you might be think you might think that I'm talking about church and small group, and of course, yes, there was that. But I'm talking about Chipotle. Um, I probably ate there at least once a week, and every time, it tasted amazing. Not only that, but if you can believe it, a chicken burrito in the late 2000s cost only $5.80. Now, we're in the year 2022, and surprisingly, a chicken burrito is still under $10. $8.85, in fact. And as you all know, um, our family has spent a lot of time in and out of the hospital um, this past year. Uh, And because of that, it's been a lot harder to to find time to cook and to prepare meals. And we've been so thankful for the ways in which our friends and our family and and this community has, has come alongside us, not only in prayer, but through meal trains, providing takeout, as well as home cooked meals. And we're so grateful and appreciative of that. But something that has re-entered our meal rotation is Chipotle. Uh, it's lessened lately, but there was, a, there was a long period during this year where we ate Chipotle every Wednesday. That was our weekly rhythm. Um, but I gotta say, there have been things that have happened recently that have really shaken our faith in Chipotle. Uh, Earlier this year, I got off work one day, made a quick stop at the nearby Chipotle for our usual order, which for me is a chicken burrito, uh, for Amanda a steak salad. As I'm driving, the the familiar aromas, they fill the car. As I sit in traffic, I, I dream of the meal that I'm about to enjoy. The seasoned chicken. The zest of the pico de gallo mixed with the lime sprinkled rice, and then the refreshing sour cream. Glorious. I get to the hospital. I sit down with anticipation. You're just getting to the best part, Sophie. I unwrap the foil, and I find that the burrito 
starts to unravel. And I'm puzzled, but I take a bite. The tortilla, usually warm, chewy, and comforting, was cold, flimsy, and brittle. It was already unraveling, but it continued to break apart with each bite. And I soon realized this tragedy. They forgot to heat the tortilla before wrapping the burrito. And first, I was, I was disgusted. It tasted really bad. But then I was angry. Like, how could you miss that part of burrito assembly? That's step one. And then by the end of it, I just felt really let down. Like my faith in Chipotle had taken a blow. And I know this all sounds dramatic and it's totally a first world problem. Uh, but I know some of you can relate. Like some of you can feel the tragedy, the wrongness and the injustice of it all with me, right? And it, but it didn't stop there. Since I was grabbing dinner on the go so much, I made the jump to online ordering which is a big step for me, guys, and one that I sometimes regret. Anyway, I ordered the usual, uh, and when I came to pick it up, I looked in the back only to find that the order was wrong. That's okay. It's cool. So I I kindly brought it up with the cashier, and he kindly began to remake the order himself. He finishes it, hands me the bag, and I don't bother to look in the bag because I just assume that the order should be right the second time. I get to the hospital, I pull out the items, I unwrap my burrito, the tortilla is soft, warm and chewy, there's chicken inside, good. Uh, And then I hand Amanda her salad, she starts mixing. And then she notices that something is missing. Tiny minor item. Her steak salad is missing the steak. And so by now I am totally dejected. My faith has been shaken more than once now, and and I'm beginning to lose all hope in Chipotle. It's it's real trauma, and I don't know if it will ever heal. Please please pray for me. Uh, We still eat at Chipotle, but now I feel fear every time I think about placing an online order, because that's the effect of trauma, these triggers. And now I I always order at the counter just so that I can monitor every step of the process. Now, why am I telling you all this? Uh, This whole Chipotle rant was a conversation that I actually had with a friend who came to visit us at the hospital the other week, bringing Chipotle. The order was correct, if you're wondering. Um, But we traded stories about disappointment, anger, frustration, and, and a shaken faith. And she said this, She said, for some reason, there's nothing worse than an incorrect order at Chipotle. And then she adds, jokingly, it's one of the greatest injustices. And I said, I agree. (laughs) And I tell you this merely to convey this reality of the human experience. Unmet expectations are really upsetting. Sometimes a massive letdown. And depending on the gravity of the unmet expectation, it can be anywhere from disappointing and frustrating all the way to evoking feelings of wrongdoing and injustice. But on the flip side of that, surpassed expectations, when our expectations are exceeded, 
it's, some, it's, it's sometimes even more amazing than the expectations that get met. Like when I get a burrito and they, for some reason, accidentally put guacamole in there without me having to pay the extra $2, that is exceeded expectations and that is amazing. And so this all points us to a crucial reality. We need to temper our expectations. The title of this sermon, Kevin will fire it up, is Great Expectations. Uh, also known as the first book that I did not finish in high school English. Uh, but in all that we do, we need to have the right expectations. Unmet expectations are a big bummer. But misguided expectations are too. You know, sometimes we might feel like our expectations are not being met, but oftentimes it's actually that our expectations are a little misguided or, or just plain wrong. If two people enter into a relationship with a different set of expectations that don't ever get communicated, there's bound to be trouble. If I bank my happiness and joy on a Chipotle burrito, I'm bound to be disappointed at some point in my life because I should have never banked my happiness and joy on a burrito. That's misplaced faith and misguided expectation. And the same is true of our spiritual lives. You know, a theme that's permeated a lot of our teaching over the past year plus is this theme of, of spiritual realism. In other words, what does life with Jesus actually look like? What does relationship and discipleship to him really what does the spiritual journey really look like? Or even more basic questions like, what is faith? Is it the faith that my parents handed down to me? Is it the faith that my pastor feeds me? What is faith? How do I distinguish faith from feeling? What about doubt? What role does doubt play in my faith? Too many questions to answer in the time that we have, and we will continue to visit and revisit these themes again and again. But today I want to continue our quest to set the right expectations for our life with Jesus. Because many of us in this community are just on the cusp of something new and big. Like we're, we're getting to this boiling point where God has invited us to take some step of faith, big or small, and our growth and maturity depends on it, but we need to decide whether we're going to act on his invitation. Maybe you've, maybe you've considered yourself a Christian for most of your life, but you've never actually taken real steps of faith. And now you feel a, a, a tug from the Spirit pulling you towards real discipleship. Like now, it's really time to f actually follow Jesus. Maybe all of the moves towards things like practice and application in our teachings and community groups lately have felt like a gentle push for you, like the tide is turning, or, or that you're, start, you're at the start of a, a new chapter in your faith, and you now need to decide whether you'll say yes or no to that. Or maybe you've been going to church but you're still an unbeliever, and you feel like something or someone is gently moving you towards a decision of some sort. Maybe you feel like you've never experienced God, enjoyed life with Jesus or his promises, but that you've never taken that step of faith in order to begin to experience him. 
Maybe you're feeling a nudge towards finally accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you need to act on that nudge. Wherever you're at, may your mind and your heart be open to the, to the Word and the Holy Spirit. Now back to the topic at hand, though. Expectation. Today we'll start simple. We're going to talk life and death. Really lighthearted stuff as we head towards Thanksgiving this week. Uh, this might or might not end up being a Thanksgiving sermon. We'll see. Um, hopefully you still have your Bibles out open to Matthew 16. It's so short, and so I want to read it one more time before we get into it. Verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Okay. So, we are, most of us, we're here to learn about Jesus, right? Something. Some of us might even be here to learn about how to really be a disciple of Jesus. My hope is that that's everyone. But now, since we're talking about expectation, step one to being a disciple of Jesus. Die. That's it. That's our encouraging note for the day. Uh, the German pastor, theologian, and, and World War II resistance by Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said this. He said, when Christ calls a man or woman, he bids him to come and die. And now you feel all warm and fuzzy on a Sunday morning. Um, if you grew up in the church, maybe you heard the phrase, deny yourself, take up your cross, a lot. So, so much so that, that maybe it's just become sort of like, I don't know, like, like a Christianese phrase that gets thrown around. Maybe you hear it and you think, well, I guess that means I should give up a few things. Like, I'll deny myself, take up my cross on Sunday, not sleep in, and I'll come to church. Or, or, or I'll, I'll deny myself this rated R movie, or I'll deny myself this pint of ice cream. Maybe that might be part of it. But for Jesus, it's, much, it's more than that. It's more than a sometimes thing. If you look at this same passage in Luke's gospel, Jesus says, let him take up his cross daily. So it's an everyday thing. Discipleship is an everyday thing. Because as we've talked about spiritual formation, becoming more and more or less and less like Jesus is an every moment thing. But let's, let's backtrack a bit and consider the language that Jesus uses. Notice how Jesus doesn't say, if anyone would come after me, let him, let, let him give up a couple things first. He doesn't use weak language. He uses quite strong language. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Nowadays, we hear cross, and we probably think, I don't know, either fashion item, like your necklace or your cool earring, uh, or at best, we think common Christian logo. But I think we need to get back to the truer, weightier image of the cross. Just so you know, the cross 
was an execution tool, one of the worst kinds. The cross was for crucifixion. And so every time you don that necklace or put on that earring, just think, crucifixion. And this takes us back to Bonhoeffer's statement. Jesus is calling us to come and die. Meaning, when we follow Jesus, something needs to die. Something about you, something inside of you, parts of you, big and or small, need to die. Change, my friends, is to be expected. And I'm hoping that through the course of this teaching, through the Spirit searching your heart, through your honest self-reflection, what that is or how that needs to happen will become a little clearer. Now maybe you're thinking, wait a second, we spent the past few weeks and months talking about how Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. He invites us to a life of joy. And this is supposed to be Thanksgiving. I mean, that's 100% true. Jesus did come to give us life and life to the full. And that continues to be the promise. But for life to emerge, for new life to emerge, for life in its truest, fullest, most beautiful form, abundant life in Jesus, for that to happen, death needs to happen first. Expectation number one, expect death. If you're taking notes, write that down. Expect death. This is why Jesus says in verse 25, whoever loses his life for my sake will actually find it. Now, this can be taken literally. Some people literally lose their lives, but it's also figurative. And it sounds paradoxical, so let me give you an example. When I was a kid, my parents signed me up for piano lessons, and since we're a predominantly Asian-American community here, I know a lot of you can relate. I know we all had different experiences and love-hate relationships with piano lessons, and I didn't like practicing when I was younger, but I did love music. And even though there were moments when I hated it and I wanted to quit, as I stuck with it, guess what? I became a better pianist. I grew in my technical skill. I gained greater freedom at the piano. I could learn newer, more challenging, and more beautiful pieces, explore greater depths of emotion and expression, perform better, communicate more with my audiences. New life. And a, a fairly full life. You know, one of the greatest joys in this life is the effective communication of feelings through art and music. But in order to step into that new life, parts of me had to die. I was a lazy kid. And so for new life to happen in piano, my laziness had to die. I had to kill it. I would have rather played video games, but those vices needed to die. Maybe this is why I'm not a gamer now. The bottom line is that for me to step into new life to the full in the world of piano, there first had to be death. I had to change and grow. The trouble is, we as a people are pain averse. 
We prefer to avoid pain and anything that causes us discomfort. You know, we avoid things like disciplining ourselves and grinding it out at the gym, all the way to having you know, like uncomfortable conversations and confrontations in our relationships. And I would say that our growth and maturity really suffer as a result. Secondly, we are a feelings-based people. We gravitate towards the things that make us feel good. I hope this isn't offensive, but this is why some of us can drink boba seven times a week. Like your feelings and your cravings are guiding your weekly rhythm. And since we are pain averse, and since we are a feelings-based people, we want the life without the death. We come to Jesus cherry-picking verses that talk about life and joy, love and hope. And we cling to spiritual highs that unfortunately seem to happen less and less. And then when those warm, fuzzy feelings fade, as we come to church and the pastor talks about death that needs to happen before life, we slowly step back, we turn around, and we walk out the door. And in doing so, we close the door on growth. We close the door on the amazing, abundant life that is actually just waiting on the other side of death. We want the life without the death. And in our current culture, there are literally a bazillion things and voices that tell us, hey, you can have the life without the death. Our culture tells us that it's okay to never grow and change. And it sells us what we think we need to do all that. Think of all the things that you know, we run to in order to maybe find life, to find peace, joy, and love. All the things that promise us happiness without us having to be changed. We run to, to media and entertainment. We cozy up with Netflix or we post, post pictures on, on social media to win the approval of others. And in the moment, this might feel like life. It's like a quick hit of celebrity. But in actuality, it's, it's self-medication that leaves us worse off. We never, <laughs> we never come out of hours on Netflix or TikTok feeling like we're living our best lives. Even if that's what we want our feeds to look like. We run to our jobs and our careers thinking that a career advancement and success or the things that we can get with it will allow us to live life to the full. But in actuality, they only demand more and more of us. And it never ends. You know, we, we never actually get to enjoy the life we think we gain for ourselves. We run to vacations, but these are only momentary escapes that oftentimes, if we're honest, leave us feeling more depressed when we get back to regular life. And so we need to work towards an even bigger and even more extravagant vacation. But the cycle never stops. To this, Jesus asks, for what? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? The irony, friends, we grasp for these empty promises of life, but they actually only bring more death. The social media addiction we indulge only further eats away at our already fragile mental health. The workaholism only further kills our bodies. The constant striving for more wealth, possessions, and status 
only leave us hungrier, never fuller. Do you see the irony? We avoid following Jesus through death and into life, and instead pursue false paths that in the end actually lead to real death, the very thing we thought we were avoiding. And they lead to a worse death, the death of our minds, the death of our hearts, and the death of our souls. This is why Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will actually lose it. Fill your life with false comforts that distract you from me and your soul will die a slow death. This is a far worse death and it's a cycle that we see play out way too often. So if our false paths lead to the slow death of our souls, how do we break the cycle? And how do we find life? How do we enter into life to the full as Jesus promises? Here's the invitation. Come and die. Because on the other side of death is always new life. Paul writes to the ancient church in Philippi, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if we follow Jesus, we cannot have it any other way because Jesus didn't have it any other way. We believe in, we put our trust in, we worship Jesus, the resurrected King. But before the resurrection, there had to be the death on the cross. Death to life. So why would it be any different for us? Maybe you're here today and you don't really know Jesus yet, or or you've been to church a few times, but you're just not sure yet. That's okay. If this is you, then I get to be upfront with you. Believing in Jesus, accepting him as Lord and Savior, and then doing life with him, obeying and following him, it's actually the best thing ever. And I can tell you that without any qualms or reservations. It's the best decision you could ever possibly make. But it will lead you to confront a few things, including yourself. It will lead you to change. There will be parts of your heart and your life that will need to change. If you follow Jesus, you will not remain the same, and that is a good thing. But also know that Jesus is gentle. Change will not come like a lightning bolt zapping you into a new person. It will be a journey with ups and downs, but it'll be a beautiful journey that leads to deep joy. Now, maybe you're here today, you are a Christian. Maybe you would even say that you follow Jesus actively. You're a disciple, that's awesome. But you just feel kind of stuck. Maybe maybe you're still trying to recapture that, 
that zeal and, and that spiritual high that you felt that one time pre-2020. If this is you, I feel you. But if this is you, then perhaps, perhaps there is a real spiritual block in your journey with Jesus and your growth. Maybe there is something that God is gently nudging you to let go of. Maybe there is a death that needs to happen. But maybe you're, you're unaware of it right now, or you're reluctant. Maybe this particular thing is actually standing in the way of the life that Jesus invites you into. Maybe it's the thing that is actually keeping you from freedom, growth, deep communion, and love, and joy in him. So what is it for you? Where is Jesus calling you to take up your cross and die so that you can finally step into new life with him? In the language of Paul, what do you need to crucify? What do you need to nail on the cross and kill? Maybe, maybe it's a sin pattern that's been part of your life for as long as you can remember, but you've always kept it hidden. Maybe it's an addiction to pleasure or to pornography or to work and achievement or substances. Maybe it's something that doesn't seem so bad, but it's still something that rules over you in some way. When we actively choose to remain in sin, we create a wall between us and God. Most of us who are stuck in sin patterns would probably say that we have very little experience of God in our lives. Maybe for you, immaturity is the spiritual block that you need to put to death. I'm going to try to tread carefully here, but I would say that among Gen Zers, immaturity is a rising plight and a real block to spiritual maturity, let alone just plain maturity. If this is you, take your immaturity to the cross and crucify it. For your sake and for the sake of others. Christ-likeness and love are things that we have to grow into. And so if growth is not happening, then there is a real block on Christ-likeness and love. Along the same vein, maybe your spiritual block is, is a fear of commitment. Like maybe you've been coming to church in a small group, and you like a lot of the things that Jesus says and teaches. You like the idea of Sabbath. You like some of the things of God, but you don't want to commit your life to God. Like you'll, you'll take some of what he has to offer, but only what suits you. You want the gifts without the giver. If this is you, your, your ceiling of growth will be extremely low. First, you're missing out on the best part, God. But secondly, you'll reach a point where you'll realize that these quote-unquote benefits of God will not be enough to sustain you when life gets really hard. When you go through seasons of pain and suffering, a few cherry-picked verses and teachings and a day a week spent in church will not carry you through. And whatever faith you had will crumble. And if this is you, you would probably say that you don't experience God much. But the issue all along is that you never really took that step to believe in him and to receive him into your life. 
Maybe you consider yourself a Christian, but, but you keep putting off baptism. Part of that, I would say, is maybe a misunderstanding of what baptism actually is. But another part of that is probably, again, a fear of commitment. It's like moving in with your significant other without getting married. Like you go through the motions of being a committed couple, but there's a big step of commitment that you're scared to take. If this is you, there might be a spiritual block in your life. Maybe your tendency towards passivity needs to die. Maybe you struggle with responsibility, taking initiative when it's required, or or acting when the Spirit prompts you. On the flip side, maybe your struggle for control is something that needs to die. Because this puts a real block on experiencing freedom in Christ. It puts a real block on any steps of faith, and so it puts a block on the experience of things like grace and wonder. Maybe self-delusion and fantasy need to die. Maybe you struggle with with accepting the reality of your life and your circumstances. And so maybe you always feel the need to escape your circumstances rather than accepting them, going through them, and growing because of them. Maybe God is revealing all of the coping mechanisms in your life, the things you think you can't live without. And out of love, he wants to purge these things from your life. Maybe these things need to die. Or maybe it's an identity struggle. Maybe a false identity needs to die. Maybe your need to perform and to measure up to the standards of the world needs to die. Maybe you struggle to live into your true identity as beloved by God because another identity is blocking it. This is where I was for the longest time. And so I just want to end by sharing a little bit about that. Some of you have heard this story a lot, so I'm sorry. But for the longest time, my struggle with identity and with that, the need that I felt to perform and to please people caused a real spiritual block in my relationship with Jesus and a real hindrance to enjoying the freedom that he offers. As many of you know, for a large part of my life, music was my everything. I spent way too many years in school studying classical piano performance, but at the time I thought it was my dream, and I thought it was my calling and my truest identity. A close friend once asked, Brooks, don't you ever want to be known as more than just, a, as just the music guy? And I said, no, this is who I am, I don't want to change. Maybe you can relate, but maybe for you it's another identity, I don't know. Anyway, piano was my life. I got my doctorate in piano. I played, like, I played concerts regularly, fulfilled dreams of giving concerts in cool places, playing on the radio, and I loved it. You know, I, I felt so sure that this is what I'm supposed to do on this earth. Like, I felt so sure that this was my identity. But at the same time, as there usually is, there was, there's a, there was a shadow side to this. Uh, the life was fun, the performing was fun, but there was also a lot of unhealthy anxiety and stress involved. And oftentimes I would ask myself existential questions like, what if I perform terribly? What will happen to me then? You know, what will people think of me? 
What will happen to my career and my future? Sure, this concert went well, but what if the next one doesn't? Will I be ruined? And this was actually a, a crushing burden. You know, over time, these questions began to wear down on me, and I thought, am I more than my performance? And in that line of work, performing, you could say no. And I soon realized, wow, I am not free. This is not freedom. I am enslaved by the need to perform, literally and figuratively. And then it hit me. This is not life to the full. Is, is this the life that Jesus envisions for me? Doesn't sound like it. I, I love music. I still love piano and classical music. I play it for Phoebe when they're at the hospital. But I had to die to that identity that I had chosen for myself. In order to step into freedom in Jesus, I had to let it die. Because as much as I told myself that it was my truest identity, it actually wasn't. My truest, deepest identity is this. I am a beloved child of God, purchased by the blood of Jesus, loved and adored, and I am meant to spend my life with Jesus for Jesus. He gives me my truest identity, and it's one that cannot be earned or lost. I was so reluctant to die to my false identity because I had spent so many years fortifying it and holding on to it. But as I began to let it die, as I willingly followed Jesus through death, he is gentle, but it was an uncomfortable and painful process that I had to participate with him in. As I followed him through death, new life began to emerge. Freedom began to emerge. And with that, finally, peace and joy. And ironically, as I let that identity die, I actually loved and enjoyed playing music even more. It was more freeing and I was more at ease because I was less stifled and crushed by that burden. Each day now with Jesus is a step deeper into contentment. Each day is a step closer towards realizing and living into the sufficiency of Jesus. He is enough. He is life. And to die is gain. Friends, we can fall into two traps in the Christian life. One, we can expect only death and think that God is just out to restrict us, to limit our freedom and to put a damper on our fun and on our plans. And we can forget that death leads to life. And so we forget to expect life. Or on the other end of the spectrum, we expect life. And forget that death needs to happen. To death needs to happen first so that we can enter into new life. 
question is, where are you on the spectrum? Do you expect the Christian life to just be full of rules and restrictions for no reason other than to keep us down? Do you only expect death? Do you only expect to be stifled? Or do you only expect life without first death? Do you expect the Christian life to be one spiritual high that we somehow have to keep feeding like a drug addiction? The wrong expectations can set us up to totally misunderstand God and the gospel. And as a result, miss out on what the Spirit is doing and has been doing all along in our lives. The wrong expectations blind us and numb us to the experience of God. But the right expectations, when we set our expectations straight, when our expectations come out of what Jesus actually says, we open ourselves up to the wonderful possibilities of life with Jesus. We open ourselves up to the true nature and mission of God in our lives. We open ourselves up to real experience of him. And we open ourselves up to being formed by him. To wrap things up in sum, we need to expect both death and life. On the road of discipleship to Jesus, expect death. And with that, expect wrestling and struggling. But on the other side of that, expect life. Expect life. Look forward to life. Put your hope in new life so that you can journey through the death. So where do we begin? Step one, consider your current experience of God. What is it like? Do you ever experience his nearness? Or do you feel like week in and week out, you hear about how others experience God, but you can never relate. And it feels weird. And you almost feel, you almost feel a bit of imposter syndrome. Perhaps there are some real spiritual blocks to your experience and relationship with God and to your growth. Step two, look for death and welcome it. That sounds weird, I know. But by that, I mean this. Look out for the things that God is inviting you to put to death. Look out for his invitation for you to get involved and participate. And yes, I know it's weird language, and so I'll put it another way. Are you taking steps of faith with Jesus as he leads you through the challenging work of examining your faith, examining your heart, taking an honest look at sin patterns in your life, digging deep into the wounds that you might hold, considering the false identities that you might be trying to keep up and puff up? Welcome death with full expectation that it will lead to life. Ask God what he wants to put to death and then trust him and go with him. 
The more we say yes to the work that he wants to do in us, to the things that he wants to cleanse us of and rescue us from, the more we say yes to new life in him. The more we welcome his freedom and his joy into our lives. Thirdly, how do we begin to welcome death? How do we begin to welcome the death that Jesus might want us to go through? Start with Thanksgiving. And suddenly this is a Thanksgiving sermon after all. Again, I know it sounds strange, and I know we're used to giving thanks for things that seem to go well in our lives, like blessings, friends, community, providence, good food, and continue to give thanks for these things. But as we shift and refine our expectations... What if we gave thanks to God for challenging us? What if we gave thanks for all the signs we see of God doing a work of purging in us? Like, God, I see you revealing this sin pattern in my life. I see you revealing my addictions, this idol in my life, these coping mechanisms that I think I need. I see you revealing my false identity that I hold on to. I see you revealing my need for control. I see where you want me to die, and it hurts, and I don't want to let go. But thank you. Thank you for shining your light on it and for leading me through this. Help me through this. Lead me to follow you through death and into life. Look for the ways in which God is challenging you, calling you out of darkness, into the light, through death and into life. Notice it. Embrace it. And give thanks for it so that you can then participate in it. Thanksgiving helps us walk through death to the other side. This is how we, as Paul writes in in 1 Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances for the things we usually give thanks for, blessing and provision, but also for things that we wouldn't normally give thanks for, the difficult and the challenging ways that God uses to, to form us. By thanksgiving, welcome these moves of the Spirit to change you and grow you. In your alone time with God, give thanks for the ways he's challenging you and ask him to help you work with him through it. In community, give thanks together for these things and lean on your brothers and sisters. Remind each other that this is God doing good work in you. His best work. Go with Jesus, expect death, know that it is good, and take up your cross daily. Knowing that the life that he promises is on the other side. We're about to enter into the season of Advent, which is is a time and a season of longing and anticipation. And so it's a great time to continue to examine your expectations and to ask yourself this, what is forming my expectations? Is it God and the Bible or is it something else? Let's stand and pray.
Jesus, we thank you for your invitation. We thank you that ultimately it's an invitation to new life. It's an invitation to life to the full into our truest and our best, most beautiful life because it's an invitation into life centered on you, with you. Thank you for reminding us, honestly, that it has to start with death. And that's hard. That's challenging. But we want to trust you, Jesus. We want to trust you and follow you through death so that we finally get to taste life with you. And so, Jesus, we ask for courage. We ask for your power. And we ask that you would continue us, continue to shepherd us through death and into life. In your name we pray. Amen.